Well, when I was in youth group a few years ago, one of the games we often played was uh, called Empires. Uh, the way it worked was that you would pick a question, and uh, Brooke, you must have played it as well. Yep, I can see you smiling. And then uh, everyone else would write the answer uh, on the piece of paper, and then answers would be read out, and you'd have to try and guess who gave which answer. And if you got it right, then you would join their team. Well, uh, one of the questions uh, we would often have was this. If you could choose to have any superpower, what superpower would you choose? And I wonder for you, what, what might you choose? If you could have any superpower, just say, let's just say for one day, uh, then what superpower might you pick? Um, superhuman strength, super speed, um, invisibility, ability to fly like Superman. It's hard to pick, isn't it? Um, I wonder what you might choose. But perhaps a, a more significant question than what superpower would you choose is to ask if you did have a superpower, then what would you choose to do with it? Uh, would you make it known to everyone or would you keep it to yourself? Uh, would you use it to achieve the greatest good for the greatest number or would you use it for your own purposes? Now, of course, as I ask you these questions, we all know that it's completely hypothetical to us and just a bit of fun to think about. Um, but it's not hypothetical for what we're reading about today in Mark chapter 1. Because what we come to today, what Mark has recorded for us, is basically one day in the life of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark records for us here a day of Jesus doing his ministry and one of the repeated words through this section is the word amazed. They were all amazed by what they saw, as here was a man who displayed supernatural powers. He was a man who walked on our earth, who had all the power of the Lord God. And today we are given a picture in these verses of his incredible power and authority as he heals sicknesses and diseases, as he drives out evil spirits, as he preaches and teaches. But we also see how it is that he uses his great power and authority. And as we listen to him speak about that, then that may actually come as a bit of a surprise to us as Jesus tells us the purpose for why he has come. Uh, we'll come to that part a bit later, but I've just got two points today as we consider this part of the good news from Mark. As we listen to Mark's description of a day in the life of Jesus, then I want us to ask, who is this man and why has he come? Pretty simple questions. Who is this man Jesus uh, and what is the purpose of his coming? But if we can get a clear understanding of that, then I think that will give us much to give thanks for. So as we come to our passage today, first of all, who is this man who we see doing these amazing things in the towns and villages of Galilee? And uh, if you've been here with us over the last couple of weeks, well, Mark has already told us quite a lot about the identity of Jesus. So if you look just over the chapter so far, um, in verse 1, the very first words, really the title of the whole gospel, was this, that this is the news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And both of those phrases, Messiah and Son of God, mean that he is the king, God's king, the promised one who would bring about the reign of God on the earth, the one who will bring that time when God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this promised king, well, he's of a different nature to the other kings that Israel has had because in verses 2 and 3, 
Uh, we're told about a prophet named John the Baptist who is to prepare the way for him. And see what it says in verse 3. His job is to prepare the way for the Lord. So it is the Lord himself who is coming. Now we often think of the word Lord as being a title, a bit like ruler. Uh, but this is actually the personal name of God. The name that God uh, uh, made himself known to as in uh, the Old Testament. His personal name is Yahweh, which we have translated in our Bibles as Lord. And so this is who is coming. The King, the Messiah, the Lord God himself, he is about to step into our history. And in verse 9, he does. Mark declares that Jesus came from Nazareth. And as he's baptised, then coming up out of the waters... From heaven, a voice speaks and tells us exactly who this Jesus of Nazareth is. He says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So who is this Jesus? He is the Messiah who was promised. He is the Lord of the covenant. He is the divine son of the father. This is the news that Mark has already told us um, so far about Jesus of Nazareth. And last week, for the first time, we heard Jesus speak and he declared that in his coming that the new age of God's kingdom had arrived. So Mark chapter 1, we're given these very big claims, very big statements about who Jesus is. And I think if you're a first-time hearer of this news, then I'm sure with all of those claims, then you're looking for some proof to back it up. There's been a lot of talk so far, so how do we know that it's true? Where's the evidence? And this is where Mark goes next, because what we come to today is that Mark describes for us a day in the life of Jesus. And what we see is that he walks onto the stage of our world and he displays absolute authority. In one day, as Mark describes it, we see his authority over people, over evil, over sickness. Uh, We actually looked at the first episode last week in verses 16 to 20 where Jesus called his first disciples. He said, come, follow me, and they did. He said to them, I'm going to give you a whole new purpose in life. Your life is now going to be about me and my kingdom. And they left everything. They left their nets. They left their businesses. They left their families. And they followed Jesus. Uh, These are four grown men who would have heard Jesus' teaching, which obviously made a huge impression on them. So when Jesus then looks them in the eye and says, follow me, they do. Amazing authority. And then as the day continues from verse 21, Jesus with his four new followers, they go to the town of Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, which was the Saturday, they enter the local synagogue. And Jesus teaches the people who were there. Um, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus uh, said on that occasion, but no doubt it would have been much like the 17-word summary that we heard last week in verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe the good news. Uh, What Mark does tell us about is the impression that Jesus' teaching made on those who heard that day in the synagogue. So take a look at verse 22. It says, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. 
Now notice the distinction there. I don't think this is necessarily a criticism of the teachers of the law. It's not so much that they were wrong and Jesus was right, uh, though that could have been true as well. But the difference here is actually one of authority. Jesus spoke with a different kind of authority. And this, I think, is similar really to any teacher of the Bible today. Uh, Because, you know, as I get up to speak, it's not that I really have any particular authority of my own. My job is simply to teach and explain to you as clearly as I can what is being said in the Bible. Um, That's why I want you to have the Bible open and looking at it as we uh, come to this part of our service. Because it's God's word that has the ultimate authority, not the teacher of God's word. But see, what about on this occasion when God himself turns up and begins to speak in the synagogue in Capernaum? What about when the one who wrote the law begins to explain the meaning of the law? I mean, when Jesus stands and speaks in the synagogue, he speaks with the authority of the author. And that is why people are amazed at his teaching. But then while Jesus is teaching, Mark tells us in verse 23, of a man who is described here as being possessed by an evil spirit, And he begins shouting out in verse 24. He says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now look, maybe as you hear this mention here of an impure spirit, and a bit later on in our reading about demonic possession, maybe you're thinking, look, this is getting a bit hard to believe. And I think even for those of us who have been around church and the Bible our whole lives, it can be a little bit hard to know what do, we, what do we do with these kind of things. I mean, do we just write this off as some kind of relic from the ancient world? Um, do we dismiss things like this in the Bible as misunderstandings, which we can now uh, correct now that we have modern medicine and other modern ideas? Well, weird as it might sound to our ears... Both Jesus and Mark clearly both believe in forces of evil in our world. And uh, the way that the church has often spoken about this is to use the categories of the world, the flesh and the devil. That is that there are evil influences in our culture and society in the world. Um, But there are also disordered and evil desires within me, the flesh. And there are also evil spiritual forces in the world, like the devil. And if you want to read a very interesting uh, recent book that thinks about how these things play out in our day-to-day lives, well, this is a book that I've dipped into recently, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And I want to just read you one sentence from the beginning. He says, uh, While it's easy to scoff at the ancient categories... I believe the world, the flesh and the devil are alive and well and aided by our scepticism, they are wreaking havoc in our souls and society. Um, It would do well, we would do well to listen to what Jesus says about the reality of our world. Because getting back to our text, the big point here is all about Jesus' authority. And here in the middle of Jesus' teaching, well, I mean, just imagine the scene. This man with an impure spirit cries out. I mean, you can imagine it, Jesus' teaching. Someone stands up, cries out. Everyone would be looking at him, 
wondering what is Jesus going to do? And in verse 25, Mark says that Jesus spoke sternly to him and the man with the spirit shook violently and the spirit came out of him with a shriek. Jesus gives a command and evil goes away. And if you look back to the question in verse 24, have you come to destroy us? Well, the answer is yes. And one day he will destroy evil completely. And see the impact that this has on the crowd in verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So authority to command people, authority in his teaching, authority over evil. But also as we continue to the next part of Jesus' day, we now see his authority over sickness. Uh, Verse 29 says that they leave the synagogue and they go to Simon and Andrew's house where Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Now you might think that's not too big a deal, is it? I mean, but of course in the ancient world fever was very serious. There was no going down to the GP and getting a prescription. Uh, Fever was a major cause of death. But Jesus is told about this and he goes in and he takes Simon Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and immediately the fever leaves her. And so complete is the healing that she begins to wait on them. And uh, this is the first healing miracle in Mark's Gospel. It's the first of many. Um, It's a sign of Jesus' supernatural ability. And it's a sign of the kingdom which he is bringing. A kingdom where there will be no more suffering or sickness, no more death. That's the kingdom that has come near in him. And of course, as Jesus does this, well then the word about it spreads. And it would, wouldn't it? I mean, if you heard news of someone who had the ability to make sickness go away, you'd tell everyone. And that's what happened. So verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now I want you to notice the timing here that they come in the evening when the sun has gone down. Um, That's significant because sundown is the end of the Sabbath. Um, People weren't allowed to carry anything or do any kind of work until the sun had set and the Sabbath had ended. But as soon as it does, everyone is on their feet. That evening after sunset, the whole town gathered at the door. Um, Paul Barnett, a New Testament scholar, he thinks that Capernaum might have had about 15,000 people. Um, So is Mark exaggerating? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I think if Jesus walked into Wagga this afternoon and if you knew that at sunset you could take your friend or your relative who is unwell to him and that Jesus would heal them, well, I think it would be bigger than a Taylor Swift concert, wouldn't it? (laughs) I mean, the whole town would turn out. Uh, 
I know people who are sick. I'd be there. So our first question today, who is this man? And uh, maybe surprisingly, the one who makes the correct confession about Jesus' identity in this chapter is the evil spirit. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And if that is who Jesus is, if he is the one who comes with all power and all authority of the Lord God, the one who has authority over you and me and evil and even sickness, well, that could either be terrifying news or that could be wonderful good news. Because if the wrong person had that kind of power and authority, it would be terrifying. But if the right person has that kind of power and authority, then that is wonderful news for you and me and our world. And so that brings us to our second question as we think about what Jesus will do with his power and authority as we ask, why has he come? Why has he come? Why did Jesus come? Uh, We've just seen him healing people from every sickness and disease and it doesn't say exactly how long this went on, on for. Um, No doubt it would have been very late in the night for Jesus with so many gathered there on Simon's front lawn. But then take a look at what happens next in verse 35. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this is something that we'll see throughout Jesus' ministry, often at very big moments when a major turning point is about to come. Jesus will go off and spend time speaking with his father. And the word translated there as solitary place, it's the same word as wilderness or desert, which reminds us of the temptation earlier. So is Jesus being tested again? Uh, This time a test about the shape of his ministry, about what focus or priority is he going to take? Um, No doubt it would have been very tempting to go back and enjoy the popularity of being the miracle man. And so in verse 36, Simon and the others, uh, they obviously didn't get out of bed as early that morning as Jesus, but when they do, there's thousands of people on their front lawn and they're all waiting for Jesus to come out and to get on with the healings, but he's not there. So they go off to try and find him. And when they do, they exclaim, Everyone is looking for you. And I think that's probably the tone. Jesus, you've got a job to do. Everyone's waiting for you. It's time to get back. But what does Jesus say next in verse 38? Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So this is a significant moment here as Jesus, with his own lips, tells us what his mission is. He has come to preach, to proclaim, to make that announcement that we heard last week, that the time has come, that the kingdom of God has come near and It's time to repent and believe the gospel. And I wonder if that feels like a bit of a shock. And I think it's worth us asking the question, why? I mean, why is that his mission? 
Because imagine the good that he could do. We've just seen a glimpse of it in these 24 hours in Capernaum. Think about the lives that he's changed in just that one day as people have been set free from sickness and evil. Why doesn't Jesus just continue doing that? Well, the reason is, if we can imagine it, because his mission is even bigger and more important. Um, There's other times in Mark's Gospel where we hear Jesus making similar statements, telling us why he has come. Here he says that he has come to preach, to announce the good news. In chapter 2, he'll say that he has come to call sinners. Uh, But in chapter 10... And perhaps in the key verse in all of Mark's Gospel, in Mark 10.45, he will say that he has come to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that means that Jesus must move on from Capernaum because his mission is so much bigger than providing relief for that one time at that one point in history His mission is to bring a kingdom that will see people from all places through all time set free forever from sin and suffering and evil. That's his mission. See, Jesus, he could have stayed there healing people in Simon's front yard. He could have done it for years. But he knows that one day they will get sick again and that one day they will die. And what he really wants for them and what he wants for everyone in Capernaum and throughout all of Galilee and for all of the people here even in Wagga today, what he really wants is that they would be healed forever from sickness and death. And so that is his mission. That is the kingdom that he has come to bring and it will be achieved as he uses his great power and authority, not for his good but for ours, as he lays down his life as a ransom for many, as he will pay the price for sin so that we can be set free from its power and its penalty. That is why he has come. And so he moves on to the other towns and villages. Now, it's not that from this point on that he then stops healing people. No, as he continues throughout Galilee, I mean, in verse 39, he's preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And uh, the very next story, which we don't have time to look at today, is, is a healing. Um, so that means, I think, for us, that as followers of Jesus, we don't want to create too strict a divide between you know, what we might call ministries of the word, like preaching and teaching and ministries of compassion that help people's needs, as if only one of them is important. No, for Jesus and his disciples, they go hand in hand. As they go preaching the gospel, they go full of compassion for people and driving back evil and meeting people's needs wherever they can. And so should we. But friends, today's passage has really been all about this man, Jesus. It's been Mark showing us who he is and why he has come. And the big takeaway for us here is that as Mark reveals to us Jesus' identity, as he describes for us this day in the life of the Messiah, then that assures us that everything that we heard Jesus saying last week is true. He is the king of the kingdom. And in him the time has come. 
The kingdom of God has drawn near. And for you and me today, if we repent and believe the good news, then this kingdom is ours. That's the good news. As you follow him, then you join his kingdom. And then everything that we see in this chapter is yours. Verse 4, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 11, that new status as a beloved child of God. Verse 15, this new kingdom, a new creation, a kingdom of no more death or demons or disease. That is yours when Jesus comes again. That is what he came to bring. And when he makes you those promises, then you can trust him because he is who he said he is. He has the authority to make those promises and to bring them about. That was the single-minded focus of his ministry that took him to the cross where he gave his life to meet our greatest need so that we could join him in his kingdom. So I'm going to pray and give thanks. So would you pray with me? Our Father God, we do thank you today for sending your son on this mission to rescue us from our sin and its penalty and its consequences. Father, we thank you today as we read your word here in Mark's Gospel for this glimpse of the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And I pray that by your spirit that you would help each of us to be amazed, but also assured that these promises are ours by faith in him. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.